The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. So glad to have you along with us today on our program. With me in the studio is David Swanson. He's the lead pastor at First Presbyterian downtown Orlando. Been on my program many times. Uh, I believe a real friend to this show, and more importantly, a true father in our city, uh, a leader among leaders. And I'm grateful to call him a friend. And it's good to have you back, my friend. Thank you for having me, Mike. I always enjoy being with you and being in your presence and being on your show. Well, it's great to have you. The last time you were here, we kind of, uh, after the show was over, we were talking about the next time and you had on your heart what we're going to be talking about today. Mm. And that is the topic of generosity. And I think this is a good thing. I mean, it's a positive, Mm. really. Some people would say, ooh, when I think of generous or the call Mm. to be generous, it makes me feel bad. And the reason they say that is because that word exposes what may not be going on in that department in that person's life. But the truth of it is, this is a wonderfully positive uh, point. Would you agree? Oh, I agree completely. And I, I think, you know, as a pastor, uh, as Christian leaders and those who teach God's word, uh, I think you have to look at what were the things that Jesus emphasized in his teaching. And Jesus talked more about money than nearly every other single subject. So a lot of people really don't figure don't, that to be true, but it that. really is. So if, if I am going to be faithful to God's word, then it would stand to reason that I would talk about money a lot. And yet, in the church, as soon as the preacher, you know, announces, well, this is a stewardship sermon, or I'm going to talk about money today, you know, everybody reaches for their wallet because they think he's reaching for it, right? Mm-hmm. So I always say to my people, whenever I talk about the subject of generosity or money, uh, things, stuff, materialism, I always say, this is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. Oh, that's that good, David. What I, what I want to see people experience is the kind of freedom uh, in terms of how they understand their money and their stuff and their things that so many people are not experiencing today. People today are bound up, and they so many of their life decisions, so many of the choices they're making are all determined by the fact that they've gotten out over their skis, they're too far in debt, and everything they, they can't afford to be generous uh, because they've made poor financial decisions. So mm-hmm. I, I wrote a book some years ago called The Economy of God, and it just looks at what, is the, what does the Bible say to us about how we handle our money and our stuff and our things. And one of those is in in the aspect of generosity in terms of what God pours into my life of that. What am I going to give away? What does God call me to do with those things? So if, if God ultimately is the owner of all things, then mm-hmm. our challenge is to go, okay, Lord, if this actually belongs to you and not me, and that may be the biggest uh, transformation that needs to happen in our lives if we're ever going to be truly generous people, if we're going to be free in our finances— we have to understand who the owner uh, really is. That's right. And uh, so we have to say, all right, if I'm not the owner and God is, then my first question before I do anything is to ask the owner, what would you like me to do with this? Mm-hmm. And that's what the that's what the scripture reveals. You know, a funny thing about that, a guy that I heard of years ago, probably 30 years ago, he discovered this same principle of which you speak here mm. and that God is the owner of it all, everything that we have, mm-hmm. not just the 10% tithe. 
Mm. but everything that we have and all that I make. Mm. Uh, and somebody backed into his car and put a dent in his nice new car. And he, he got out and looked at it and he said, Lord, look what happened to your car. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's good. Right. That's that so kind of helps us in those moments. It does. But it, it's human nature, isn't mm-hmm. it, to want to take control, take ownership mm-hmm. of everything. And I believe that really spells deeply into this whole thing of when it comes to giving mm-hmm. and tithing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many people, this is a real challenge. And there are all of the reasons, all of the excuses why they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is that when you think about in your life, uh, it is the last bastion of things that we want to control and keep to ourselves uh, in terms of what we are surrendering and yielding uh, to the Lord. So, you know, Luther said that we all go through three stages of conversion, our head, our heart, and then the last one is always our will. So the first two can be reversed. It could be head hard or it could be hard head. But the last one's always our will. Now, did you say hard head? Or, oh, no, <laughs> well, <I'm sorry. laughs> my, my wife might say that. But uh, the last one's always our will where we actually go, okay, Lord, not only do I love you and have I committed my life to you, but I'm going to start. My, my desire is not what I want, but what you want. Right. And, uh, and so what happens in our, you know, we still want to control our money because there's something in the back of our minds that says, I earned this. Mm. I got up in the morning, you know, it was my idea to create this company. It was my, the sweat of my brow that brought this income to me. And yet, if you, if you really want to dig into that and follow where that leads, well, who gave you your intelligence? Who gave you your creativity? Who gave you uh, your capacity to mm-hmm. do this thing or that thing? All of that was provided to you and given to you by the Lord. So right. it's, it's not been merely up to you, but it's been the Lord's good grace in your life that has allowed you to receive those things. And no question, he wants us to enjoy his good gifts, but he also wants us to be generous. He wants us to sow uh, our the, the fruits of our labors back into his kingdom work. Mm-hmm. And, and just to be clear, you know, by no means am I uh, at all talking about any kind of prosperity gospel that I, if I give my money, then God's going to financially bless me back. Um, I do not believe that's a biblical concept, and I, I would uh, absolutely disagree with that. But that's not our, not our purpose today. But I do want to be clear about that. But I think what happens is we don't talk about our money. In other words, you know, and I've talked about this and asked so many people, you know, in, in the life and ministry of the church, in your Sunday school class, so many churches have small group ministries, life communities. And when we're in these smaller groups of people, we'll talk about just about anything. I mean, People will talk about their illnesses. They'll talk about their marriages. They'll talk about uh, challenges they're having with their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they will expose a lot of things, but you never hear people talk about their money. They might say, hey, well, they might say we're having financial challenges, but they, they never use numbers. They'll say, I got a great deal on a car, but you never hear what the price is. I got a raise, but you never, you never hear a number. And I remember, I'll never forget, there was a, a man in our church who's in a, a work for a local nonprofit at the time, and I asked him to give a generosity testimony in church, and he stood up and he said, "Last year, my wife and I made eighty-eight thousand dollars, and we gave twenty thousand dollars to the church." And I mean, you could have heard a pin drop because mm. people don't do that. People don't talk about their money. So what happens if we, if we don't talk about it? If we just keep that to ourselves, then there's no accountability in it. No one is ever going to be able to speak into our lives and call us to obedience. Because we're not willing to be vulnerable about that. Vulnerable about that. Mm-hmm. So one of the most powerful experiences I ever had, 
It was in my late 30s. I was in a small group of four other men, and we decided that that was a place in our lives where we lacked accountability. So over the course of a month, each week, one of us would take our entire financial picture, how much we made, how much we gave, how much debt we were in, what our our pending financial decisions were going to be, and we laid the whole thing out. And we agreed that before we made any major expenditures that we would come to the group and say, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Is this a wise uh, financial decision in light of who I am in Christ? Am I being obedient in my generosity and my faithfulness uh, as a good steward of God's uh, mm-hmm. good gifts? And so just that little bit of accountability uh, really started to move the needle. So just some some data in that respect. And, and we talked about this a little bit before the show. And and you know I, what I'm about to say, a lot of people are going to go, no, that there's no way. And I pro- you want to go Google this, look it up, you know, w- within a few f- percentage points that may have changed in the last year or two, but only 6% of people who identify as, as Bible-believing, born-again Christians, only 6% actually uh, tie. That means that they give 10% uh, of their revenues that come to them in the course mm-hmm. of the year. So you would say 94% of the Christian community is not being obedient to that biblical command. Now, we could get into how you... Uh, parse the verses in Old and New Testament that talk about uh, generosity, that talk about tithing. Um, we could do that, but it, that, that's still the number. And then on top of that, um, all the, the latest da- data from the Pew uh, Research Forum, from Barna, both, uh, about uh, only about 30% of people who are committed to a church, members of a church, in other words, um, actually give anything to that church. At all. At all. That's, I mean, it's oh, an astounding goodness, number. That is an astounding and number. And when I share that with my people, there's always a little bit of a gasp in the congregation. And they're like, it's just disbelief. Like, no, that can't, that can't mm-hmm. be right. And and when I first shared that in our church, that was probably eight or 10 years ago, you know, we did the numbers and I said, you know, the average across the board is about 30%. In our church is about 31%. And, and I said, people, we got to do better. So we have grown over those last eight or 10 years we're now up to about 43, 44% of our members actually make a contribution and are invested in the kingdom work that we're doing at First Pres. And so on the one hand, you go, okay, wow, that's a you know, 10, 11% growth. On the other hand, you go, yeah, and there's, well, there's over 50% yeah, yet not. Right. You're, we're not even at half. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, that all leads into a, a great uh, story. Um, a great move of God that happened in our church. And that was, you know, when you and I concluded the last show, um, that's what we started talking about. Mm-hmm. And it just shows you, you know, what's happening in regard to generosity, not just in our church, but across the board. And it, it's much of it, some of it is related to COVID and the pandemic. And there was this this very interesting phenomenon that happened, not just at First Pres, but, but uh, many churches across the board, many pastors that I've talked to have said, that in this season, you know, it, it seems counterintuitive, but our our worship attendance numbers have gone down. Tanked, yeah. But our giving has gone up. Yeah, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I've heard the same thing, mm-hmm. David. And so you kind of go, wait, what what is happening? And so the reality is that most of the people who are, uh, where you're losing your attendance, they were in that percentage of people who weren't giving anything anyway. And so you're not really, it, by declining worship attendance, you're probably not losing a lot in terms of those who are being faithful in their generosity. But then the flip side happened in a moment of crisis, the people who are in your core, the people who are part of the church, who believe in what you're doing, they're committed to your vision, 
out of in the pandemic and coming out of it, they got more committed and they said, wow, this is the time for the church to, to rise. There's so many people in need. We've got to support our community. We've got to be giving more away in mission. And so they got generous, mm-hmm. even as some of the peripheral people who were really not that connected or committed uh, started to uh, started to fade. And I, th- I think that's where you see that phenomenon. And that was certainly the case at First Press. Now, do you think there's ever a time in this where uh, these kind of difficulties, this kind of struggle that COVID brought to us all, uh, does it ever cause people who weren't in that category giving to start giving even a little bit? I think they can. And, and I think that did happen in some form because it was hard not to pick up the paper and realize how many people were being economically impacted. Yeah, really. Losing their jobs, not being able to go to the office. So many restaurants and you know service-oriented industries were closing. You know, if you were in the arts community, I mean, no more shows. You, mm-hmm. you, you know, people weren't coming. You didn't go to the movies. I mean, so many people who worked in that that sector of our economy were were uh, were impacted. And so you you kind of stood back and said, okay, you know, I, we we need to try to help. So during COVID, we have a we have a fund in our church called the Good Samaritan Fund, and it just exists as something that the, the congregation gives to to help people who are having a hard time, can't pay a bill need someone to help them pay their mortgage one month or their car payment, something like that. Mm-hmm. And and people, A, gave generously to that fund, and then B, we were overwhelmed by requests um, for that fund. So I would go to the congregation pretty much every week and say, you know, this week we had 57 applications for the Good Samaritan Fund, people who need dollars. And most of the time that would then generate, people would know, okay, more people who need help, and so people would give. And, and again, that was not just true in our church. That was true, you know, across the board. Many, many churches got increasingly generous. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful sign of what God was doing. Now, you mentioned earlier something about uh, the prosperity doctrine that is so prevalent, especially in media, mm-hmm. on Christian TV, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the, uh, the big televangelists, if you will, right. are, are purporting some of the very things that you're talking about. And the danger in my mind with this, and I'd like your thoughts on this, the danger is, is that there's an element of truth in there that God does love a cheerful giver. No question. And that's biblical. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that will be uh, given, but there is this other angle that if if you want God's blessing upon your life, then y- you you should give. And then I've heard, believe it or not, I heard this one one of these guys said, "You're functionally tying God's hand behind his back. He has to bless you." Mm-hmm. Oh my word! I couldn't believe that. I I felt I. I wanted to turn my radio off and run away from where it was because I was afraid lightning was going to come down right mm-hmm. then. And, and get well, it. you know, and it, it kind of is the same thing that you hear about miracles. Um, th- there's no formula in the scripture for wealth that if I do this, then God will make me wealthy. And what the prosperity gospel, you know, builds its case around uh, is, okay, if, if I give money into the church, then God's going to give me money back. And it, the Bible just doesn't say that. And in fact, if that were true, then, you know, if, if, if God wants to pour wealth into people's lives in the way that you hear it being proclaimed, then I don't think a lot of the disciples who you see in the New Testament would have been tent makers mm-hmm. working other jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, none of the disciples were wealthy, you know, and it's like, well, if it didn't happen to them, 
you know, some of the most faithful people, you know, we've ever seen. I, why should I make the leap that that's going to happen to me? Right. And so, yes, God's going to bless us, but I think predominantly he's going to bless us spiritually. He's going to bless us in terms of how he forms our heart and how he makes us uh, care for and be empathic in the lives of others. Um, when financial resources do come my way, absolutely that's a gift of God mm -hmm. and to be enjoyed. But I think you also better be very careful um, that, uh, that you are being faithful with what God gives you. You know, there was a book, I know you're familiar with it, Randy Alcorn's book, oh, yeah. Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Mm -hmm. And that book uh, really changed a lot of us when we went through that at our church. Yep. And that eternal perspective that he talks about there, that we give on this day because our eyes are on that day, mm -hmm. and we want to honor God in that, as opposed to that flip understanding of so many in the prosperity doctrine that would say, give today and you'll be blessed today. And I think that's a big difference. Oh, it's a huge difference because who who's at the center of that? In, in that doctrine, it's about you. Mm -hmm. The biblical doctrine of generosity is about the building of the kingdom of God. Yes. So if any time you find yourself as the recipient, you find yourself at the center of a doctrine, it's never about that. It's about bringing glory to Christ and lifting him up and extending the hope of the gospel and the building of the kingdom. So if we, are, if we really have been transformed and impacted by the, by the gospel, by the truth of God's death for us in Christ— then how, how does that not occupy the priority uh, of our financial generosity? Why, why would we not give to that beyond anything else when we recognize eternity is at stake? Lives are at stake here. This matters forever. Let's jump into that yeah. in our next segment, because that is a big part of what I think all of us need to hear. It's why what keeps us and why aren't I going ahead and jumping in into the flow of what God wants us to do? Mm. My guest today is David Swanson from First Pres Orlando. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Shepherd. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. My guest today is David Swanson. He is the lead pastor at First Pres, and that is in the gorgeous downtown Orlando area. Uh, a, really, a, a church that is historic in so many ways. Uh, so thankful for them and uh, truly love the heart that comes from that church. And I think a lot of that is because of the heart that God has put in this man that is mm. sitting right before me. It's a real honor to have him here. We're talking about this most important issue. And uh, at the beginning of uh, our program, you rightly called the fact that God talked about this through the word. Jesus spoke about this issue of our generosity, mm. uh, this 
I think of the widow's mite story mm. and we read Paul's writings to all the churches and he's commending them for their acts of generosity. Yes. This is a big deal. And yet it is a perennial problem with people in the church. Your uh, statistics that you gave us in segment one boggles my mind. Six yes. percent of the church, that's the national church, right? maybe the global church, tithe. Right. And out of uh, all of the giving, you could you could boil it down to somewhere around 30% of all giving, or, or I should say 30% of the church is making up all giving. Yeah, exactly, is giving anything. So when you think about that, if, if we just got faithful in terms of our generosity and we started being obedient to the idea of tithes and offerings, so 10%, that's Malachi, uh, goes into the storehouse to the church, and then we make an offering on top of that. That would raise, if, if just people in America did that, this is a world vision statistic from about 10 years ago, so these numbers would be different. But uh, at that time, that would raise an additional $2.8 billion. Billion with a B. B, billion dollars. Wow. And, and at that time, the worldwide uh, cost for providing uh, basic human needs, food, water, shelter, uh, at that time was $1.8 billion. So if just the church in America had had given faithfully, you know, this is... so. What God's calling us to do, it actually works. But our problem, I think, is that we just, you know, there's there's that there's that place in the back of our mind that we don't truly believe that God is our provider, or we truly don't believe that what God has provided is enough. And so comparison in the life of the disciple is a is a dangerous uh, is a dangerous oh, really task, is. a dangerous activity, because you can be sitting down eating a bowl of beans and rice, and you may think, man, this is the greatest bowl of beans and rice I've ever eaten in my life. Thank you, Lord. But when you look up and you see your neighbor is over there eating a big fat steak and a potato, you're going, all of a sudden your beans and rice doesn't look so good. And mm -hmm. you're like, wait, Lord, he's eating steak. Why, why, why don't I get that? And so you start comparing. And I remember, you know, there's that famous moment at the very end of, of, uh, Jesus is Jesus is actually in glory. It's right before his ascension, and he's having a conversation with Peter. Mm -hmm. It's John twenty one, yeah, at the end of the book of John. Yeah, yeah, and he says, you know, Peter, here's what your life's going to be, and it it's not that great. <laughs> no. You know, it, it's not really no. super good news. And uh, and so Peter looks up and he sees John, and he says to he says to Jesus, well, what about him? Like, what's going to happen to that guy? And Peter's wanting to compare outcomes, and Jesus says, you know what that that's not your he's not your concern. Your task is yeah, to be faithful. Yeah. And so I think we need to keep our eyes on the Lord, on what he's given to us, that he's going to be faithful for the design and the plan that he has for our lives. And that's a that's a good plan. But again, this idea that what, what God has given us uh, isn't quite enough. I, I just want to tell you a story. And, and, a, and I really, I, I want to tell this in all humility and to the glory of God, because what I saw happen in our church last February I've never seen happen anywhere. The only the only way I can describe it is a is a move of God, and mm -hmm. I'm you know I'm not somebody who comes out of a charismatic tradition. That's a fra phrase you might hear in the charismatic world, a move of God. Um, so Presbyterians don't use that phrase very often, but but that's what happened in our church, and it started when um, we were uh, taking part in a generous giving event. I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry, but Generous Giving is a nonprofit that's uh, headquartered in in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but they have an office here, and and uh, and we we love what they do because they hold conferences, 
and do retreats that are all designed to help people become more radically generous. So they don't want anybody to give money to generous giving. They're trying to get you to give money to your local church and to inspire you to, uh, to biblical generosity. And so they uh, have created a series of videos that tell stories about generosity from people in the United States and then all over the world. Well, one of them is a video about a group of women in, a, uh, in Northwest India in the village of Mizoram. And, uh, and it's, called the, it's called the Cup of Rice. That's the title of the video. And so we, uh, as elders in our church, we went through this generous giving retreat together and they played this video. And what, what happens is rice is the staple food source in mm-hmm. this very poor area. And so at night, as these women would prepare their evening meal, they would take a cup of rice, set it aside, make their meal. And then at the end of the week, the women uh, would go throughout the village. They would collect that rice that they had set aside during the course of the week, take it to the church, and the church would sell it to fund their mission and ministry. Well, this cup of rice initiative spread from one village to another until it was really in a particular region, a fairly large region. And this has been going on for about 15 years, but it has become so large and prevalent that last year they raised, and again, this is one of the poorest parts of the whole world. They raised 1.3 million U.S. dollars just by giving a cup of rice before their evening meal. Uh, and they That's amazing. And this little village in, in India has sent 150 missionaries out from their area into their country. And so they've become known as this mission-sending church. So I come in February with the last February with the data that I shared with you. In our church, we got 60% of our people who've just said, you know, for a variety of reasons, I'm, I'm not going to give anything. And I just wanted to challenge our church. And the text was, and I want to read it, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is where Paul is writing to the churches that he's planted uh, to take up an offering for the impoverished Jerusalem church. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So I was thinking, so that's the text I'm preaching on, and I think it was the third Sunday in mm-hmm. February, and I'm like, wow, the Macedonian churches. Can you imagine going extreme poverty, significant trial, their lives are hard, and yet they're pleading with Paul, please please let us give to the Jerusalem church. Yeah. We, we don't want to miss out on this. And and I'm thinking, what's a, what's a modern day example of the Macedonian churches? And I thought, it's those women in India. It's the... It's the church in Mizoram mm-hmm. and what these women the are doing. Mm-hmm. So I stand up in in my sermon that day, and with with no, I'm I'm not trying to start a movement. I'm not trying to raise money. I'm not trying to start a campaign. All I was doing was trying to motivate our church that if you don't give anything, give something. I said, look at what these women are doing. And I showed the video, 
And I said, you know, if these women can set aside a cup of rice who have next to nothing comparatively in terms of our lives, then, then I think we can do this. And I said, at the very least, if you don't give anything, you could take a dollar a day and put it in a jar and you could bring $30 to the church at the end of the month. And if you did that, that would fundamentally change the life and ministry of the church if, if, if that 60% did that. And so kind of out of nowhere, I, and I just said, I really think we can do this. I invite you to pray about that, kind of put a challenge out there, said amen. That was the early service. Well, in between services, I, there's, we have about an hour in between, I get a text message. And, and I had said during the service, no one had ever come and pleaded with me to be a part of an offering. Please, David, can I, can I give some more money to the church? That had never happened before. And I just, you know, so I kind of laughed about it. Well, it was a, a text message from a friend, and he said, there's a group of us, and we would like to plead with you um, to be a part of a special offering where we're going to, uh, together, and I think it was probably, you know, 14, 15 people, we're going to pool their resources and, and give a matching gift. And they said, anybody who gives uh, a new gift, like you referred to, we'll match it dollar for dollar. So now their their gift is doubled. And I'm like, wow. And they said they'd do it up to $250,000. Wow. And so, so they um, were putting some serious oh amount gosh, of money in there. Like, and, and, and that, they were a catalyst. They were like, okay. So I, at the 11 o'clock service, I said, well, at the early service, I said, this had never happened before. No one had ever pleaded with me. Well, somebody did. And, um, and so we have this matching gift. And, and so all I know to tell you, Mike, is, is that in, over the next three weeks, I've, I've never seen anything like it. And it wasn't just First Pres. People started hearing about it. And I, I would get letters from people in other states. And it was, it was 2 Corinthians 8. It was like, we heard what you're doing and we want to be a part of it. Can we be a part of it? And and I would get a check. Like I I got a letter from a guy in our church who's been uh, dipping chewing tobacco for years, and he's always wanted to quit. And he said, "This is this is the time." He said, "I'm now uh, I'm going to stop uh, dipping, and the money that I have spent on tobacco, I'm going to give to the Cup of Rice Fund." And that was what was crazy is I started getting checks to the Cup of Rice Fund. Well, I'd, I'd never said there was a cup of rice fund. I'd, I'd never said anything of the mm. kind. It was just like it started happening. And like all, a generic type yeah, of a... Yeah, there were, it was just... Like I organic said, giving. A move of God, and it just grew and grew. One one woman came, and um, she and her husband uh, had long been their practice. They put $5 a week in a jar, uh, in, uh, in a manila envelope, so that they can have a, a nice Christmas. It's their mm-hmm. Christmas fund, $5 a week. And her husband died. So this is in February. He died the prior November. And so she came to me with this stuffed manila envelope. And she said, you know, uh, my husband died in, in November. And we I didn't spend the Christmas fund. And I wanted to bring the fund to you for the cup of rice. And wow. it was $605 in $5 bills. Wow. And, and I, you know, it was just that kind of sacrifice and generosity. We had children giving things. So, you know, obviously, depending on where you were socioeconomically, we had some larger gifts and we had some smaller gifts. But but over time, um, you know, o- over a, a period of weeks, um, we raised $1.8 million. Wow. Like out, out of nowhere. And, and I will tell you, Mike, on the one hand, you go, well, Lord, you know, thank, we were just overwhelmed. On the other hand, you were like, oh my gosh. God, had, I mean, the burden that we felt 
God had entrusted us out of nowhere with this sizable amount of money, and, and, and we didn't know what it was for. So our elders met immediately and hit their knees and said, God, we don't want to mess up what you just did. And so we want to stay humble. We want to you know, be grateful for this, but we want to be wise. Show us how you want us to spend this. All right. A week later, Russia invades Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm now, so this is, the, this is the really cool part of the story. Um, so I'm now on the phone with some uh, friends of mine in Western Europe, pastors, just talking to them, you know, oh my gosh, is, I mean, none of us can conceive of what, what that is like, what that was like. Uh, but there was a, a man there that has run an organization called uh, Covatis, and his name is Andrzej Turkonik. And actually, Anjay is going to be in worship at First Pres on Sunday to kind of help tell wow, the story. that's great. So I'm excited about that. But he's all, for, for years and years, Covatis has been about uh, bringing spiritual renewal to the Christian church in Western Europe. That's what he's been about. So he has relationships across many countries. But most specifically, his brother is a pastor in Poland right on the border with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So Russia invades, and all of a sudden, his brother is overrun with refugees coming out of Ukraine into Poland. There are four churches on the border and I, you know, and I call on and I'm like, and, and he, he's overwhelmed. I mean, he's visibly shaken. We're on a, a FaceTime call. And I just said, brother, what, I said, what do you need? I will try to do anything I can. If you, you just tell me what you need. And he just, his shoulders kind of slumped forward. And he said, David, you know, keep in mind, you know, out of nowhere, this is the cup of rice fund. He says, you know what we really need? We need rice. And I mean, I about fell off my chair. Oh. And and so God prepared the body of Christ ahead of time with the resources that his people needed in the Ukraine. And he, he gave it to First Pres before we knew what it was for. But he said, my people in the Ukraine are going to need this, and I'm going to pour it into these people, and I'm going to create. And so, God, God, you know, if there's ever been... <laughs> A moment in my life where I, I knew that God was our provider and that God was going to take care of us and that God was the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills, it was that moment. And so I, I then explained to Anjay what's happened. And I mean, we're, we're both crying. Like, mm-hmm. can you believe this? So we, we immediately sent him $400,000 and he bought eight passenger vans because those were the only vehicles nimble enough to both haul uh, materials, food, rice, baby formula, medical supplies, blankets, clothing uh, that could get through the pockmarked, bombed-out roads. And, I mean, he sent me chilling video of these vans, you know, being shot from the passenger seat with with buildings on fire, big craters in the roads, and gunfire in the background. And they're in a van that we purchased filled with the materials and supplies that God needed to be distributed— and they were in places that the Red Cross and a Samaritan's Purse would not go because they weren't safe. They wouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. So this little ragtag band of about 50 pastors were making round trips in these in these eight-passenger vans. And they would go because they're locals, and that's their exactly. people. Yeah. And they they had to help. And so and, and that, that was in February, and it, it continues to this day. Oh. And so it is. And then so we gave a significant amount of money there, and then— uh, we gave money uh, to mission partners in in our local community who were really, we, you know, again, coming out of the pandemic, who were the people who were the most impacted? Mm-hmm. 
You know, that is a beautiful story, and it's not just a story. And I think, you know, I want to capture this moment before we take another break and just say that what you've just heard David talk about is indeed a move of God. In their congregation, it's a move of God in that area in Poland and Ukraine where these needs are now being met. But it highlights what happens when God's people hears the call and responds, even if it is with a cup of rice. Amen. That is amazing. David Swanson, my guest today, will be back for one more segment. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. If you've considered the natural beauty of a wood floor, then go with a winner. Ability Wood Flooring has been a trusted source and family-owned and operated since 1950. Ability Wood Flooring is voted best of the best and are featured on A&E's Zombie House Flipping. Ability proudly works with Florida's top builders, winning many awards in the Parade of Homes. Get a free design consultation today. AbilityWoodFlooring.com with me in the studio, my friend David Swanson. He's the lead pastor, the senior pastor at the uh, First Pres downtown, and he's told the most amazing story. If you've just tuned in, you're going to have to get the podcast on this one and listen to the story about a cup of rice and how that story that was heard and then uh, just grew in the heart of David, who then challenged his church in their first of two services in the Sunday morning and in between, uh, just what starts to develop is a, a big miracle that ended up in a lot of people, uh, many of which I am sure were not giving to that kind of a level before at all, no, right? No. Mm-mm. That was and, the start. Yeah, that was the challenge is if you've never given before and you give to this and it just snowballed. And just to tie a bow on that, not only did a, a, a vast percentage of that go to uh, Ukrainian refugee relief, but then locally, we were we were looking at where has the pandemic really uh, impacted um, mm-hmm. people in a challenging way, and you you know so the the people who were in poverty, one of those was uh, access to health care. So we gave money to uh, places like Grace Medical Home, uh, Human Trafficking, Samaritan Village uh, received some of that money. So we were just trying to look at um, wh- where are there particular needs um, that we can help address as a result of this, and so it it has spread not only globally, but locally as well. And um, and now those dollars have been distributed. So it's been an exciting time. Beautiful thing. You know, Grace Medical Home, I was privileged to go down and uh, spend uh, an hour down there in tour yeah. and then another hour in uh, just kind of interviewing the director down there. What a wonderful, wonderful. organization. Ah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, and that is an example of people who are are giving of themselves because they have all these professionals. They have doctors and specialists Mm -hmm. and lab techs that give of their time. They don't receive a single dime Mm -hmm. for it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you mentioned something in your first segment about uh, that story from the Bible who's and, and looking back at the Macedonians who had extreme poverty mixed with joy. Mm. 
Now, those are two things that are like oil and water, I think, in most people's <laughs> minds. Those two things don't normally come together to equal overflowing joy. I mean, mm, there's mm. like joy for the Lord. I want to give. I want to be a part. At the same time, extreme poverty going mm. on in their mm. lives. How does that happen, David? Well, I, I think it happens by the transformation of the heart when you begin to realize that the most important thing is is not um, my neighborhood, the car that I drive, how I compare to how much these other people uh, may have, which is how we tend to define our respective worth and value, that my identity at least partly is wrapped up in how much I have and all these social boxes that I'm trying to check. But when, when we come to Christ and we recognize that this is about something that is eternal, that our time here is a blip on the screen and mm-hmm. what matters to me most is, is am I contributing to the extension of the kingdom of God and the building of the kingdom of God? And the joy comes when, when you love the Lord and then you, you give resources um, to the church in order that, that those things might happen, and then you see it happen. That's when overflowing joy happens, when you mm-hmm. see lives impacted for Christ. That is a, uh, that is a thrill and, and kind of a, a charge um, that you get that is just unlike uh, any other. And uh, and that's what happens when you get radically generous. You know, I think about that, and coming to my mind is the words of Jesus to the disciples in the upper room discourse when he's talking to them, and he's he's saying these things that these things have broken the hearts of these men, these mm. disciples. Mm. But he made this statement. He said, I've told you these things so that your joy may be full. Mm. And, you know, I think that is... There's a an unexpected blessing that comes when we obey, and we we're not feeling like obeying. We're not even happy. We're we're kind of sad, right. but yet we want to honor God in that moment in the way that He wants us to honor Him, and so we go ahead and obey Him in that moment. Mm-hmm. That brings a joy, if not so much even in lifting the the pain of the moment, but it will in the future. Mm, absolutely, and and you. You know, it, it's one of those things I can, you know, I can talk to people until I'm blue in the face about generosity and the freedom that I want them to find uh, in their uh, in their finances. But in, until they actually are obedient and put it into practice, they'll never know. They'll and never so know. It's like, you know, if you want to take the step and start this journey, I promise you, God will meet you there. But that that's up to you. That has to be your decision. And it was your decision when you and those three other individuals got together exactly. and formed this agreement between you to help each other. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't just like, we're going to have a secret pact and it's a secret club and here's what we're going to... No, not at all. It was an accountability pact Absolutely. that says we want to learn and grow together, but we need each other to do that. Mm-hmm. And And accountability, again, is just such an important word. You know, it, it is, uh, it's kind of like, you know, Elijah being under the tree and, uh, and he's asking the Lord to take his life. He says, I'm done. And, and the angel comes and says, the journey is too much for you. And, and that's hundred percent true. The journey is, is too much for us. We're going to stumble and fall. We need each other. We need accountability in every dimension of our lives, but especially in the realm of our finances where we tend to get so bound up. And so I'm not saying you need to go tell the whole world. But I think a wonderful spiritual discipline is to is to bring one or two or three other people into mm-hmm. your confidence, and to, you know these are people you trust; these are your brothers and sisters, and say, you know, here's where I am, and I I just would like some wisdom, and I'd like your prayers on where I am as a family, what we're what our goals are financially, and and again, that's another thing is 
is, I, you know, people don't plan. Um, that it, you know, do you have a financial plan? Do you know how much money you make in the course of a year? And do you know what your plan is this year in regard to how much you're going to give and how much you're going to save uh, so that your family actually can be in a position uh, to be generous? So just, I think a lack of planning contributes to a lot. And I, I would just also say one more thing, and this is really uh, uh, directed at, at pastors and other ministry leaders. I, I have picked up on a kind of a, a, a behind the scene, uh, kind of an, a false idea that, that goes something like this, that if I'm in ministry, if I'm serving in the church, then I don't really have to tithe because I'm not making as much money as I otherwise could if I was, if I was working in the secular world. Mm. So, you know, like they're I, exempt, like they're kind of exempt from mm-hmm. that because I'm making these ministry sacrifices. And, and that's disturbing to me because mm-hmm. that is absolutely nowhere to be found in scripture. There's nothing that says, Oh, give your time and your talent. You don't have to give any money. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not true for ministry leaders either. And so ministry leaders, pastors, we, we need accountability. And so I, you know, I always tell my congregation, a lot of my accountability is uh, the, the finance team. Uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the men and women who work in our finance office, they know exactly when David Swanson writes a check to the church and they'll know if I stand up in front of the congregation, they'll know whether I'm a fraud or not, whether I'm doing the very thing that I'm trying to encourage the church to do in being generous. So I, I learned a long time ago, I tell the church exactly what I make. Once a year, I say, here's, here's what I earn. Here's what I save. Here's how much debt I have, which the only debt that my wife and I carry is on our house. And, um, and that's by design. If, if, you, if you never stretch, if you never put yourself out over your skis, then you're always going to be in a position financially where you can be generous. Mm-hmm. And so we, we made that decision uh, a long time ago. So we, we, we need that accountability. And as ministry leaders and pastors, we need that accountability. And I'll tell you, once I started sharing that information and saying, I'm with you in this, I'm giving, you know, I mean, I think the, the last couple of years I've given between 11 and 13% of what the church pays me, I give back to the church. And when the church knows that, they're like, okay, Right. Wow. That our, our leader is putting his money where his mouth is. So we're, we're going to, and our, so our generosity has grown in some respects. I'm, I'm told because of that. Well, I think it is too, because it's so much easier to follow a leader who is leading the way himself, not just with words. I mean, I, we've all heard what a lot of our parents told us. Don't do as I, uh, don't do as I do, do as I say, Right. you know, and we look at them. We know that kids uh, are often mm-hmm those that uh, more is caught than what is taught to mm, them. So true. And they're going to, and that's going to be true with our church. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at you and realize how accountable you are. And the fact that you are putting this out there and that you're doing it, it's going to take away an excuse that they've got. If, mm. if he, as our pastor, and he believes this and he's doing it, we should obey the Lord. Yeah. Amen. And, and I, I love that. I, I'm, I don't know how much time we have left, but, uh, you know, for parents, uh, making generosity fun is, uh, is a great way to teach your kids. And one of the things we did with our kids, one, when, uh, when uh, my wife's dad died, he left a little bit of money to each of our three kids. And we use that as sort of a, an opportunity uh, for them to say, okay, we're going to take 10% of what granddad left you. The rest of it's going to go in your college fund, but 10% of it, uh, you're going to give away. So we, this is when they were in middle school. And, um, so we want you to go, re- where, where would you like to give that money? 
So we had a family dinner and they went away for a week, came back the next Sunday night family dinner. And they had, you know, three organizations that they'd researched and they said, we want to give our money here. And so they, we opened up checking accounts and they wrote checks to these organizations. Well, of course, when you get a new gift as a nonprofit, what are you going to do? You're going to send a thank you note to mm-hmm. that person. So all of a sudden, these these organizations had no idea who these three people are, didn't know they're in middle school, and they're getting all this mail going, oh, thank you so much. We want to invite you to this event and da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> and so that That's was awesome. great. And then the other thing we would do, just, just for fun, just to show them that generosity is such a joy, is we would go out to dinner at a restaurant as a family, and if we looked around and saw a family that just either – kind of had a hangdog look on their face or they were arguing or it just clearly they were maybe in a hard place. We, I would get the waitress and I'd say, I, I want their check. And so we, we were well-trained. We would not look at them. We would not acknowledge it, but we would watch as the waitress went over and they would say, you know, we're ready for our check. And she'd say, well, someone has paid your bill. And the reactions that would happen when those families realized that somebody had just for no reason had been generous with them what our kids saw on their faces. They were like, dad, this is, and it became a thing. We'd sit down for dinner and like, dad, whose dinner are we going to buy? And because they wanted to watch the reaction. So we can do things in our families that make generosity joyous. And not only make that family at, at your point, Joyce, but think about the seeds that you've sown in those kids and their families are going to be affected in the future. And others will be watching your kids and be effective. That's how the kingdom yeah. of God grows. That works. Absolutely. It, it does work. David, I am so excited to have had you up here today and to talk about these things, you know, uh, to see what happened and to hear the story of the success of this program within your church. It's so encouraging and I believe inspiring to a lot of churches around the area that may want to uh, get involved and have a similar call to their people to give and to give from the heart and to even give a little bit if that's what it takes. But what changes have happened at First Pres since you did this? There has been a greater generosity as a result of that. And see, that's the crazy thing. Generosity begets generosity. So as a result of what's happened now, our giving has continued to be higher than it's ever been. And so we are having a greater capacity to pour into mission causes locally and globally. And so that's where the fruit is still being born. That's wonderful. David Swanson, lead pastor, First Prez, and that is in downtown Orlando. Thank you for once again coming in and sharing these amazing stories. It's such a blessing to hear it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. And friends, thank you as well for listening today. We hope that you'll share the podcast. All you have to do to do that is go to either Spotify, Apple iTunes, or Google Podcasts, or our website, And uh, just look for Afternoons with Mike. That's the keyword to use, Afternoons with Mike, and download that podcast. Send it away. A lot of people, I pray, will hear this story about their church's generosity and maybe follow suit. God bless you. Have a great day. 